Welcome back to another edition of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. I'm Jonathan Warner, uh, and we have Sean back again uh, for the weekly podcast, the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. Boy, do we have some topics to discuss. Uh, we have a start date. Uh, early season tournaments are here. Now they're not here. They're moving around all sorts of different directions. And meanwhile, the NCAA continues to just hand waivers out left, right, and center. Sean, how are you doing today? And how are you coping with this great college basketball news? Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. I feel like for a long time, a lot of people, I mean, I've always thought they were going to figure it out. I think most people thought they were going to figure it out, but there seemed to be a lot of people who didn't have very much optimism that there was going to be a season at all. But the way college football started, I mean, there's going to be postponements in football like you saw with the Baylor and Houston game. And that's just for precautionary reasons. And we're going to see the same thing in college basketball. We're going to see the same thing in the NFL. We've seen it in the MLB, but the MLBs almost went a month without a positive test uh, that wasn't a false positive. And then it just seems like things are going better in sports and everything. But if you're listening to this, please uh, continue to wear a mask. Please social distance don't party in a large group of people if you want sports back that is a thing uh definitely don't go out to a uh corona party not a smart idea but definitely i think the thing is we've kind of seen with sports once we got kind of the first sports back i I remember i think it was golf that was the first sport back uh, at least here in america and they was it the TBT, though? TBT or golf? Golf, I think, happened first. But they kind of, like, learned and kind of adjusted on the fly. And I think more leagues have kind of learned. Uh, the TBT obviously did the bubble, uh, which mm-hmm. worked out really well, besides the yeah. couple of teams that had one positive test. But for the most part, TBT went off pretty smoothly. Uh, now the NBA bubble's gone off. We haven't heard about a positive test in uh, what feels like many months. Uh, The the only thing is uh, maybe someone going to uh, a a club uh, in Georgia, and that uh, is someone that is on a team that just lost a 3-1 lead. But outside of that, it's been the NBA has been pretty smooth sailing. You mentioned the MLB had a rough patch, but I think with any sport that's not going to do a full-on bubble, you're going to hit a rough patch at some point. You're going to hit a couple positive tests, and uh, the MLB has kind of persevered through it despite all this uh, and kind of come out the other side, and we're getting near the MLB playoffs, which is going to be fun. But I think college basketball can definitely learn from All these examples, what to do, what not to do, college football is going on, uh, and it seems to be going on okay for now. Uh, Obviously, college kids probably shouldn't be partying right before a big game, but so long as they don't do that, I think we'll get the season off going, and uh, that's going to be huge, at least for college basketball. 
Yeah, definitely. And one thing about the word bubble, I don't know if it's, I saw someone else tweet about this. Might have been uh, Kevin Sweeney. Great tweets. Follow him. CBB underscore central, I think it is. Follow him. He's great. But uh, one thing that I feel like has kind of lost its meaning is the word bubble because in the way the TBT did it, the way the NBA is doing it, the way the NHL is doing it, is in a bubble to where the point they they're all in the same ho- or similar hotels and they can't leave unless they're going to the game. If and the, like they literally cannot leave or they'll be removed from the bubble, right? Uh, a lot of things you just have to quarantine for 14 days. Yeah, but they can't leave other than the games, right? Yeah. Well, they yeah. they they have I think they have like fishing and stuff yeah. like that to yeah. do but they can't leave outside the bubble unless it's for games you must stay in the bubble the and the bubble includes fun activities like fishing and golf and basketball but you can't leave that then, fun disney disney world bubble yeah then you hear about like people saying college basketball bubbles and like we'll get into the chris mack louisville thing later the multi-team event they're trying to do but if maybe the way I'm reading it is a lot of the things they're planning aren't really bubbles. They're just all in one central location and they're going to try to limit people leaving as much as possible, but it doesn't sound like a full on bubble to me. Yeah. I kind of agree. Like a bubble. When you think of bubble, it's like you're literally like you're the NBA. Perfect example. TBT. You're, you're moving like in a safe, space climate and not really going about it moving all over the place you're not going you know and i think they'll kind of do the same thing with college basketball it'll just be like a short-term bubble it'll be like a two-day bubble in which case it's not really like the full-on bubble and while like like the nba players are having to eat at the restaurants in the bubble or They'll have to get Jimmy Butler's coffee. Uh, the college basketball players are probably still going to order like Chipotle, and they're not in the bubble or something like that. But at yeah. the same point, I I get the concept. I just I it's not a full on bubble uh, like the NBA or TBT or uh, the NHL even as well. Yeah, I definitely feel like if you don't have a full-on bubble, it kind of leaves still leaves room for errors. So I think at the same time, if you're going to just put all these people in one – the only way I think you should put everyone in, like, one central location is if you're rearranging the multi-team events that were supposed to happen, like Maui or Atlantis, which we'll get into later. But I think that if – let, like I don't, we don't know what's gonna happen. Still, it doesn't I don't know if there's gonna be a non-conference or not. But Richmond was supposed to play at Rupp Arena against Kentucky in December, I think, late December maybe. Uh, I think that uh, that game probably won't happen at this point. But why shouldn't it happen in Rupp Arena? You know, like are they gonna have it somewhere else? Like I think they're almost better off just having it at Rupp Arena. Yeah, I in having a Rupp Arena or wherever you have the games you can have it if you have it at Rupp Arena you take away the traveling for one team so only one team has to get potentially exposed although I think they're probably going to do 
a lot more cautious things. Like I, the days of I think Gonzaga traveling to play Duke in New York City, at least for this year, going to be shut down. But I do think like you'll you'll still see some games where teams try to travel, but I think there'll be a lot of like busing games and like. Mm -hmm. mentioned Louisville uh, earlier and they Chris Mack has tweeted out that he's interested in having an 8 to 12 team tournament in Louisville Uh, well if that's the case who might be invited maybe it's like Moorhead State or uh, Indiana or something programs like that Uh, maybe Kentucky Uh, we'll see if they want to join but like they'll have a bunch of I think kind of teams that are in the region like the Louisville area maybe you'll get Illinois uh, that would be fun certainly Uh, but you'll get kind of those teams going to Louisville to play and the whatever the Louisville event whatever they decide to call it uh, and I think you'll see that uh, with some other programs where they'll have kind of regionalized teams going to these different sites uh, that are like within a pretty close distance, I would say. Yeah, I mean, with that Louisville thing, they could, I mean, just with local teams, they could put together a pretty solid field. I mean, Cincinnati's pretty close, I think, right? Kentucky, you can go Northern Kentucky, Western Kentucky, I mean, there's some good teams in that region. I'm probably Xavier's probably pretty close. Uh, you know, Wright State maybe. They're in Ohio, aren't they? Yeah. There's a lot. The Ohio State. Oh yeah, forgot about them. They exist. Ohio State, Ohio with Jason Preston, one of the best mid-major players in the country. Like I don't know, I might have just named eight teams, but if they go with eight teams, they can get some pretty good local teams to the point where they can just bust over. Uh, yeah, and just go back and l- very little room for error there. Yeah, and like less exposure if you're taking a bus as compared to flying in a plane and taking the airport. Uh, and you can see that. I I think you'll see that with other programs, they'll try to have like a eight to twelve team. Probably more teams will have eight, uh, just because it's hard to get. 12 teams in the same they're in like the same region regionalized area uh kind of similar to like louisville's not going to try to get it, it they can try to get 12 teams but at the same point you're probably not going to get 12 teams that are in the same region and like you can cut the travel expenses down uh if you you only have eight as compared to 12 teams or 16, however many teams uh, they're going to have. I think having eight is a good number. Uh, some, you know, regionalized sites might only have four teams at the same point. I think you're going to see kind of these start to pop up. I think you'll see with Duke, uh, they have talked about, they have not confirmed that they're playing in, the quote-unquote battle for Atlantis, uh, battle for South Dakota. Uh, They've not confirmed that. And now, I think coming out today, uh, they plan to have, or they're wanting to have kind of a social justice-themed tournament in Durham, which 
think would be good. Maybe they'll get kind of the local teams going there. Uh, I don't think North Carolina would go, but you get like. What about Howard? Howard? How close is Howard? Like, yeah, where is Howard? Like, they're they could be a fun one to have there. Yeah, you get Howard uh, with Makur Maker and No Jelly. Get some other Charlotte you could do, I guess, or UNC Greensboro. Just throw them both. UNC UNC Asheville. UNC Asheville. There you go. There's another team. Yeah. Although, are they going to be hosting the Maui Invitational now that Maui's in Asheville, North Carolina? They're not even in the Maui Invitational, so are they going to be in there now? Like, what's happening? (laughs) I don't know. So you're going to have it at their home court, but they're not in it? Put them in the tournament. What's happening? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure. So, like, every four years, you get to go to these tournaments. So that's why Coach K is not wanting to play in the Battle for Atlantis in South Dakota. Because if he goes this year, he can't play in it. Like, if he sits out and goes to some other tournament, he can still go to the Battle for Atlantis uh, to do whatever Coach K does in Atlantis, but he can play in the Battle for Atlantis <laughs> next year. I don't know what he would do in Atlantis, but have fun in uh, the Bahamas, I guess. Uh, in North Carolina, I could see doing the same exact thing. I, th- I think there's a very good chance they drop out of the uh, – "Quote unquote Maui Invitational and just say we're we're not playing this year and we'll go next year or the following year. I think you'll see that with a couple teams that are in like some of those type of tournaments. Uh, you'll see those teams kind of drop out. Can't the NCAA just ignore that for the season? Like this is going to be a weird season, something like we've never seen before. Like just make it work. Well." We've seen with the NCAA, they, they're not very good at that. So, No, they're bad at making easy decisions. Yeah. They are, they're not particularly the best at handling easy decisions. Uh, no, I guess the only no. easy decisions they're making is just stamping the approved sign on any waiver that comes about uh, because it's been, there's been a lot. Uh, and we we had we certainly have a few uh, going into it. Uh, Jamarius Burton, he has gotten a waiver to play at Texas Tech. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, Chris Beard mentioned previously uh, that he could potentially sit out. He originally planned to sit out, but just kind of filed for a waiver because why wouldn't you file a waiver at this point? Is if you get it, you can still sit out. If you don't get it, well, you're you were gonna sit out anyway. So, no reason not to apply for a waiver. But he gets the waiver. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he does indeed play. I think right away he'd probably be the sixth man for the team. Uh, mm. See if McClung gets a waiver. Uh, no, nothing about McClung's situation points to a waiver, so he'll get a waiver this year. Uh, which probably means Burton wants it out, but you never know. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody should get a 
like waiver or whatever you want to say like one time immediately eligible that's what i've been advocating for it's kind of ridiculous we don't and let me go on a quick uh little rant here why does michael flowers i know this wasn't on our agenda but i'm gonna go into it first then i'll get into burton there's a little uh improv improvisation here why isn't michael flowers getting a waiver transfer from western michigan to south alabama he transferred or he entered the portal but hadn't said that he was definitely gone it's not you know unheard of to see players go back once they enter the portal we've seen it a few times this year aj walker uh air force transfer decided to return uh justin turner transferred from bowling green decided to return matthias Markison from loyola marymount decided to return and western michigan got rid of their coach and they got a new one this year so they decide, so Flowers enters the portal. He was their leading scorer last year, their best player. And, you know, it wasn't a sure thing that he was gone. And then kind of without telling him, I guess, is how he put it, they filled his scholarship. So he, hadn't, he couldn't come back. If you don't have a scholarship, you're gone. So he transfers to South Alabama. He's a senior, but he didn't graduate yet. So he's not a grad transfer. And his waiver got denied. Like, that is absurd to me. I don't understand it. Yeah. I don't really get at realistically just at this point, the NCA just needs to say, you know what this year with coronavirus, we're going and it's an experimental thing too, because you experiment it with this year. You see if you want to continue doing like this waiver nonsense thing or having like the different waiver rules, but you implement a one-time transfer waiver for just this season i think the players win uh you the ncaa definitely avoids having any bad publicity because ever anytime i know they're passing it 99.98 percent of the time but anytime they don't pass it uh whatever the situation is people are going to be mad they're going to say the ncaa is rigged or whatever that's bad pr uh, and then the other thing is like so one, like Jamarius Burton gets approved. Well, then half the people that are commenting on uh, Jeff Goodman, I think Goodman broke the news for Burton getting a waiver, are Kentucky fans saying, why hasn't Olivier Sar get, gotten a waiver? At this point, exactly. just make it clear to yeah. who gets a waiver, who doesn't get a waiver. If you want to sit out, you can sit out perfectly fine uh exactly. Burton might sit out uh yeah. Paul Woods who's gotten a waiver he might sit out just take 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 the like waiver business and just throw it aside for a year uh you can next off season after the coronavirus has hopefully gotten out of our hands uh get too ahead of ourselves this is uh you know, hopefully, uh, m- maybe next season you can say, "Hey, we we didn't really like that. We're gonna go back to the waiver business." But just at this point, just let everyone play immediately, or give them the opportunity to play immediately. It's just, it doesn't make it. It's yeah, but now I'll talk about Jamarius Burton. Uh, like like Jonathan said previously, Chris Beard said that 
um, he planned a red shirt, applied for a waiver anyways, because why not? And then ultimately got one. I think Burton's a better player than Mac McClung, but I think this comes down to whether McClung gets a waiver or not. I think he has as little of a case as anybody, and a lot of what you've seen, the other co- if the other coach signs off, you're getting a waiver, but if the other coach doesn't sign off, that's where waivers have been denied. So, I mean, is Patrick Ewing going to sign off on a guy that he didn't expect to transfer? I don't think so. So I don't think Mac McClung gets a waiver, to be quite honest. And I think Jamarius Burton's a more talented player. Mac McClung, no disrespect to Mac McClung. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But he is one of the most overrated players in the country by a wide margin. I don't necessarily disagree. And then, you know, this... He's just... Keep going. Not a great shooter. He's a good athlete, but he's also, like, pretty small. He's, like, 6'2", 6'3". Like, if McClung were 6'5", I'd be a lot more interested. But he, he can jump. He's athletic. But at the same point, he's not, like, he's not a good shooter. Uh, his athleticism, because he's limited size-wise, doesn't really get him that far. I just don't think he's – now, he – He's shown in flashes that he can pop off and score 25 a game, but he's not really consistent. And sometimes just like if he's having a bad night, I do think Georgetown was probably not the best fit. And I think Texas Tech's probably a better fit because like some nights he didn't have a just keep shooting and keep missing. And then Georgetown goes from uh, being down six to being down 16 in no time. Yeah, definitely, and I like this Texas Tech team, but I like them more with Burton than I do with McClung. I mean, you look at he'll. You're right, he'll probably be a six man. I really like Namari Burnett. I think he has a chance to be the best freshman in the country. Obviously, Cade Cunningham, so maybe not the best, but he'll be up there. Then you have Kyler Edwards, who played big bench minutes on the national championship team that lost to Virginia, obviously. And then you have Terrence Shannon, who you know is one of the biggest breakout candidates in the country. Then you have Micah Peavy, a nice stretch, big uh, top 50 recruit, I believe. Then you have Marcus Santos Silva, transfer from VCU off the bench. He was a very steady force for Mike Rhodes the past few seasons. Then off the bench, you have Burton. Then you could go with, um, oh, just slipped my mind. Uh, Uh, Oh, Natomboy? A tomboy, but not Kyler Edwards, the other guard. Guard forward, combo guy. Uh, McCuller, McCuller. Kevin McCuller, there we go, yeah. Avery He's going to play. Avery Benson Avery. will play off the bench. And then the seven-foot-one guy they got, who I also don't remember his name. It starts with a V, and I can't pronounce it anyways. So I think this Texas Tech team is one of the bigger teams with a wide range of outcomes in the country. I could see them being top 10, and I could also see them being a bubble team again. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same er- like area. If Terrence Shannon, if Kevin McCuller, like those two players I think need to take a huge step forward for Texas Tech to be kind of close to that top 10. If Like I think Kyler Edwards, I think he's, he's – he was like a really good sixth or seventh man where he just came in and shot 40% on that team that made it to the title. And then I think kind of 
took a step back. He was kind of asked to shoot a little bit more. Uh, but I think, and also he kind of played point guard kind of later in the season. I think you could see, I think Edwards shooting wise will go like, I think he, he was around like 44% on that championship team. And then he dropped to like 30%. I think it, I don't think he'll shoot 44%, but I could see like him shooting Edwards. like 36, 37% from three, which is perfectly good. Uh, Shannon, I think he has all the attributes to be really good. If he can take a step forward, that would be obviously huge. Uh, Santos Silva and Natomboy, I think, are just going to be solid pieces. We'll see what Burnett does. But I think a lot of Texas Tech, at least to me, is reliant upon how good Namari Burnett can be on day. Absolutely. And uh, can Terrence Shannon, can Kevin McCuller take those kind of next steps and go from being like role pieces on a decent team to being like superstar pieces? And if they can do that, I think that's where I would lean more to the top 10 Texas Tech. Yeah, definitely. And I, every time I've wrote or talked about Texas Tech, I've always said this team will go as far as Namari Burnett takes him. And I truly believe that. I mean, he has all the attributes of being a star. He's going to be – I think he can be an All-American. I just – I love the talent. Certainly. Uh, another pretty talented player – Tyrese Martin has gotten a waiver. He will play at UConn for this upcoming season. No sit-out needed. Uh, UConn's going to be pretty good. Uh, I think they're probably a pretty clear NCAA tournament team. I'd put them third in like my current Big East rankings if I were doing that. Uh, certainly, I know you like UConn even more than I do, but uh, I'll let you have the floor with Martin. Yeah, I said this in a, a in a group chat we're in, and I got absolutely roasted. I said I think there's a chance that UConn can win the Big East. I, we did it on the YouTube video. That was the title. UConn could win the Big East. I don't think they will. I think Villanova will. But would I be surprised if in – I mean, I don't even know if it's going to be in MSG right now, but let's just assume it is like usual. I wouldn't be surprised to see UConn cutting down the nets at MSG. I, I really like the team. James Booknight, All-American. He's going to be fantastic this year. He's not an elite shooter, but I think he's in the 34% or so range from deep. If that can go up to like 38%, I, I just he, there's so much to like there. RJ Cole had 21 a game at Howard a couple seasons ago. Six assists, shot nearly 40% from deep. Then at the three, I think Tyrese Martin starts over Tyler Pauly. Tyrese Martin... He's more, he's a two slash three kind of guy. He's not a great shooter, but he can really get to the hoop. He's a solid, he's a solid enough defender. And I just like the talent there quite a bit. And at the four, you can go with Andre Jackson, who I think is one of the most underrated uh, freshmen in the country. He's a top 50 guy, but I think when it's all said and done that he can be a uh, top 10 guy in this class. He's an unreal athlete, really good defender. It's, you know, what is he going to do on offense? That's what you're really looking at there. He's not much of a shooter, but maybe he can develop that for next season. But he's going to be an elite defender, very similar to a cook, a cook who is dealing with an Achilles injury towards Achilles in a game in February last year. It's, you know, what is, is a cook, a cook going to come back? I, it's tough to tell. I mean, at some point you'd assume he's going to come back this year, 
Dan Hurley said he's going to take his time with him. And when he does come back, is he going to be the same player? The high-flying guy he was who can block a shot from anywhere. I think he averaged nearly three blocks a game last season. If he can play and be himself, he's going to be huge. And then you have at the five, Josh Carlton, who I feel like has been at UConn for a decade. Uh, he might have been on their 2014 championship team, honestly. Just kidding. But uh, he's going to play. Twenty-eleven team. I what? remember him playing with Kemba and those those people on the uh, 2011 team. Oh, yeah, Jeremy Lamb, Shabazz, Napier, they all played together. Yeah, basically but, uh, same team. Yeah, but, uh, but um, I think eventually Carlton will lose his starting spot to Adama Sinogo or Javante Brown-Ferguson, two recruits. I would put my money on Sinogo taking the job at some point, a really good defender who – I, I mean, I think he can be a better offensive player than Carlton. Carlton doesn't offer much on offense, and he cannot shoot free throws to save his life. At some point, he's going to lose that spot, in my opinion. But then off the bench, I think Paulie's going to start off the bench, but you can interchange him and Tyrese Martin, I guess. Paulie's a really good shooter. Torres ACL last season in a practice in, like, December maybe, January. It's pretty early in the season. But he was off to a good start, and then that happened. But this UConn team will be really good, in my opinion. I think they can run eight or nine deep pretty easily. And I think that, you know, I have them, you know, 15, 16, 17 in my rankings. I got to redo them at this point pretty soon. But they were like 23 without Tyrese Martin for me last time. I I think I have Creighton like 12, 13. So I have them and UConn pretty neck and neck. Yeah, I, I think with UConn... Uh, this just gives another dimension. Obviously, Booknight, we we both believe he's going to have a huge season. He's going to be a superstar. I believe pretty much everyone agrees on that. But Booknight can't do it all. You need like secondary scoring, whether it's R.J. Cole, who who will come in, run the point, uh, kind of be a solid player. Uh, now it's Tyrese Martin. You have that. Uh, you have two. I think with those two players, you have two guys who can pretty much take the load off. I don't know. I'd I'd lean towards a a cook a cook not playing for the entire season, or at least until like January or February or something like that. But I, I would tend to lean with I don't think we'll see him on the courts this entire season. But even then, that's how have, I have. Yeah. And even then, you have Tyler Pauly, you have Brendan Adams, uh, Josh Carlton, kind of a good Isaiah core of you know upperclassmen Isaiah Whaley as well uh and you mentioned Andre Jackson you're a big fan of him uh I haven't seen much of him but I think he like he can come in he can play kind of the three or four you could go super small you can have maybe Jackson play with Martin uh and book Knight and Cole and run like a four guard lineup with uh Carlton or Sonogo you could you can do a lot of different things with this UConn lineup. I think they're versatile. They and they have a superstar. And they have some really good players at up front. Uh, and I still think push comes to shove, Villanova is going to win the Big East regular season title unless uh, just about everything that could go wrong does go wrong for Villanova. I just think they're uh, a step above like Providence and Creighton, but, or 
well, they're obviously a step above Providence because we're not even talking about them being in the same category, uh, but they're a step above UConn as well. But I still think UConn, they can challenge Creighton for a second. Uh, and then Big East Tournament co- comes. Uh, obviously, they'll, UConn, if there are fans, let's hope there are. Uh, Madison Square Garden will be sold out with uh, UConn fans. Uh, flooding the building in their first year in the Big East tournament. So, I, I, long story short, I, I could see UConn maybe winning the Big East tournament. I'll see them winning the Big East regular season title, but Big East tournament I think is a possibility. Yeah, definitely. I think that just you can't you can't count this team out. I just think they're a team that. They'll be top three in the Big East, I feel like, without a doubt. The Big East is slightly down from last year. Seton Hall's not going to be the same. Marquette, I think, you know, might have You know, maybe. Providence probably won't be as good. There's a lot of teams who were down from last season. Obviously, Villanova is the big dog in this race. But I think you can't sleep on UConn. And you just can't. Yeah. I think, I think Providence will be about what they were kind of towards the later point of the season, I think they'll be a tournament team. I think Seton Hall will be a tournament team. But outside of that, like Marquette, DJ Carton's a solid player, but like, like he was a good player at Ohio State. I just don't see him being able to take a Marquette team that's basically a bunch of table scraps uh, and make that a tournament team when – Marcus Howard couldn't even make Marquette a, like, for sure NCAA tournament team. I think they would have gotten in, but certainly there were questions about that. Butler loses a lot. Uh, Georgetown and DePaul are going to be quite terrible. Xavier loses a lot. Uh, Maybe they get waivers for, like, Stanley, but even then I still think they're not a tournament team. And St. John's, I— I, I kind of like St. John's going into next season. They just have, like, the play gritty. I like Mike Anderson as a coach. I just, Like, the talent, though, is, isn't there to be a tournament team. So I with the Big East, I think it's, like, five teams that kind of stand out as being tournament teams, and then the rest is just kind of, like, good. I think the rest of the teams will just fade into oblivion. But I think UConn's definitely one of those teams that will make the – uh, tournament from the Big East, assuming we do have yeah, absolutely teams. Couldn't agree more. Uh, moving on, Jamal Bianemi get the uh, Oklahoma transfer. He gets a waiver to play at UTEP. Uh, certainly a good fit for him, uh, and he'll be going to a UTEP team that has kind of been picking up these types of transfers. Uh, they had Jordan Lathan last season. Uh, Bryson Williams, uh, I, Keontae Kennedy, the former Xavier player as well. I still don't think they're like Conference USA. I think a two-team race. It's Western Kentucky, it's North Texas, and then it's like UAB maybe or Louisiana Tech or Old Dominion or UTEP. But I, I think those team, those two teams are far and away the two best teams in the conference. Yeah, definitely. I like this move a lot. Jamal Bienemy, he's a 6'5 point guard, but 
he's more known for defense and just running an offense more than anything else. He's a good rebounder for his position. He cannot shoot at all, though. I mean, he's a disaster shooting. Even from the field, only 34%. Uh, bad, very bad. Um, but I think he was probably just a level too high. Come down a little bit. Uh, start on this team, maybe, probably. They have Sully Boom, who's a really good player. He'll probably start at the one. Then you can go at the two and start uh, Jamal Enemy probably. I don't know if that's ideal, but you can make it happen. And then you have Bryson Williams at the f- at the four slash five. Bryson Williams is a really good player, former Fresno State player. Last season for UTEP, he was really good. He had nearly 20, 17 a game last year. And early in the season, you know, he looked unstoppable. It eventually he tapered off a bit, but shot nearly 50 per- 50% from the field with a pretty high usage rate, 35% from deep. He's a really good player. And like you said with transfers, this is a team that ha- is pretty transfer heavy. You look at Enemy from Oklahoma. You look at Christian, uh, I don't know how to say his name. He, he went to Georgia Tech. Joland, Soland, one of those two. There's a silent J in there probably, or a silent S, one of the two. I don't think he's immediately eligible, maybe. did He, he might be. Did he transfer last year? No, he, yeah, he, he redshirted last year. So he can play this year. Keontae Kennedy, Xavier transfer. Christian Agnew, North Alabama transfer. Tyus Verhoeven, Duquesne transfer. And Sully Boom, uh, San Francisco transfer. Yeah, I I think UTEP's been building. I think with Oklahoma, uh, he's just a little bit too high. Uh, And then the other thing is they bring in Davion Harmon, who's like, Basically, a better version of him, uh, being a me, because Harmon's like a little bit better defender. He's like a his higher IQ passing wise. Like he he's just like Harmon was right away just a little bit better than uh, being a me, and like Harmon probably is going to get better because he's he's not going to shoot as abysmal as he did. He's not. I think he'll develop offensively. Meanwhile, being to me, I think moving down a level, uh, you go to Conference USA, you you go against a little bit worse athletes uh, in Conference USA. Uh, instead of going against uh, Cade Cunningham and then the next night going against uh, Jared Butler and then going against Marcus Garrett and kind of those type of people, you're instead going to go against like whoever plays for UAB and kind of the Michael Ertle Jr. Yeah. You'll go against those type of guys. Uh, and even like a Tavion Hollingsworth is not Kate Cunningham by any means no. or anything like that. So I think stepping down a player. is probably beneficial for him in the long t- term. And, Hey, he won't have to go against the same type of competition as the Big 12. Definitely. I I think it was a smart move by BNME to see what he is at this point and be like, I, I think I should move down a level. It works out for both sides. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the next one, Noah Fernandez, one of the 1,500 players that has transferred from Wichita State since the season has ended. He gets a waiver to play at UMass. Seems like everyone who transferred away from Wichita State is getting a waiver to play. 
but except for Brandon Stevenson. J- just wait, just wait. He should get one. I'll be shocked if he doesn't. He's the like if you said only one of these guys will get a waiver. It would he would be the one. Yeah. It, and maybe it'd be Fernandez because he's from Massachusetts too. So I mean, we could say both would because I think both definitely deserved one based on how the waivers previously worked. But like, I don't know. I was shocked Burton got one. Yeah, but it, Eric Stevenson. I think it's a matter of when, not if, with Eric Stevenson. I just yeah. Like a, even like Olivier Saar, like if the NCAA denies him, it's like okay, well. By previous ways, they have done waivers. This makes yeah. total sense. Uh, Sarge didn't get a waiver. I personally, like, obviously it would be good for him to get a waiver for Kentucky being good, but, like, who who knows at this point. But with the waiver process, I do think Eric Stevenson, it, if Eric Stevenson doesn't get a waiver, it would be, Utter blasphemy in the words of Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, definitely. And speaking on Noah Fernandez, I like the player quite a bit. I think he's a really good facilitator, a good defender. He is shooting stats are pretty abysmal last season, but he also just didn't shoot the ball a lot. Eric Stevenson took a ton of shots. Dexter Dennis, Jamarius Burton, uh, Tyson Etienne, Grant Sherfield. Those were your guys that were taking shots. Not really Noah Fernandez, but he's a great defender. He's going to start at the one. You have Carl Pierre at the two. You have TJ Weeks, who's a guy I like a lot. He only played 10 games last season, but shot nearly 50% from deep on a lot of attempts. He's going to be great once he's healthy this season. I like the talent there quite a bit. Then at the five, obviously, you have Prey Mitchell, who's going to be a first-team A-10 guy. Might be the preseason A-10 player of the year. You have Preston Santos, who can play the four. Mark Gasparini, who a transfer from American, who he, he's pretty tall. That's what I can say about him. He'll probably play some role off the bench. Uh, I just think this UMass team, I'm higher on them than most probably. I forgot where I had them, but like UMass, like once you get past the top four in the A10, in my opinion, really the top two, I guess in a sense, with Richmond and St. Louis, then you kind of have Dayton in the in a separate tier by themselves a little bit then you have rhode island and then kind of everybody else you have rhode island you have davidson you have duquesne you have bcu you have umass i'm i think i'm missing a team that's notable in there but you have them kind of all in the same uh category and then you go to like uh there's the worst team in the a10 i can't remember off the top of my head well obviously it's fordham it's fordham Fordham, LaSalle, they're both terrible. Just put them at the bottom. Yeah. St. Joe's. St. Joe's, they suck too. Bottom. Yeah. Th- those teams, they all suck. They go to the bottom. Every other team, you get in, you get a f- bunch of free wins. That's what. The, you- those free wins. But yeah, you, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head with the A10. I think. It's a pretty clear top four in the order. Like, I think Richmond is better than St. Louis, and I think anyone if can Rothstein, tell you. Rothstein, though, hold on. John Rothstein, St. Louis is a favorite in the A-10. Okay, well, most people would put Richmond 
ahead of St. Louis, but Richmond's like, a top like Richmond's like a top 25 team. St. Louis is like a top 40 team. Like I think St. Louis is pretty good. Then like yeah. Dayton is like a borderline bubble team. Like they could be in, they could be out. Like I think they're a borderline, like they're a bubble team. Then Rhode Island's like they're like an NIT team. I think like a pretty clear yeah. IT team. And then like five through whatever. It's like, well, you could be good. Uh, St. Bonaventure, you know, they, they, they could be good this season. Duquesne yeah. has good coaching. Uh, you know, George Mason could be good. VCU could be like, you're like picking and choosing and like a bunch of those teams will go. They'll, what will end up happening is a bunch of those teams will play a bunch of close games and then whoever wins those close games will end up going uh, 11-7 and getting fifth place in the conference. And then whoever can't win those will go 7-11 in the conference and they'll be they'll finish in like 10th place or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of what the A-10 is most years. Like, once you get out of the top tier of two, three teams, you're just beating up on each other in the middle tier. So it's nearly impossible to get an at-large bid. Yeah, it's like, it's the capacity for the A-10 at this point. Just be, and part of the problem is they just don't win enough in the non-conference. Like, if the A-10 went out and, like, Richmond beats Kentucky and Dayton goes out and beats I don't know who they're playing this year, but like, they beat UConn because we just talked about them or and then Richmond or St. Louis goes out and beats Louisville and like stuff like that happens. Then you're then the A ten could maybe get four or five bids because you have those quality wins. But if you're just beating up on a bunch of or if teams that are ranked in like the seventies of the net are just beating up on each other, well, you're going to get wins against teams ranked 70th in the net. You just don't like, there's no room for upward movement except for the teams who are beating up on the teams that are 70th in the net. And they get a like quad one or quad two win out of it. And they end up being a nine seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, definitely. But moving on here, uh, big one at the mid-major level. Mike Peak is going to Austin P. He's going to be really good. Uh, I think Austin P. Austin P. At this point, I think would be considered the favorites. I still like Murray State, but Austin P. I certainly think it's. I I can get behind Murray State, but I would put Austin P as my current favorite in the league uh, just now, especially yes. with Mike Peak going there. Uh, and he got in really well to that roster. Yeah, I like this move a lot. Mike Peak transferred a little bit ago, but received a waiver. So that's why he's relevant right now. But I like this a lot. I mean, Terry Taylor's a star in college basketball. I think he might be an All-American if Austin P plays up to their potential. He's just a really good player. Terry Taylor's 6'5", and he's like 220, I think. He's so strong. He can shoot a little bit. Like He can really play 2 through 5 pretty seamlessly. 
but you don't want a 6'5 guy really playing the 5. His sweet spot is really at the 3-4 area. He's not your ideal wing, but he's he's a guy that, like, it's, like, it, it's tough for him to, like, find his identity in a sense because he's so good at a bunch of different things. But then you have Jordan Adams, who is one of the top recruits in Austin P history. Might be the number one recruit, actually. He had offers from, like, Baylor and Oklahoma State and chose Austin P. He had 17 a game as a freshman. And then, you know, the biggest issues for Austin P last season was play down low because Terry Taylor can't do it all himself. They had Matias Silveria, who came on a little bit late last season, a seven-footer, but he opted to transfer recently, so he's gone. Then you had Mike Peake from Georgia, who played – when he played, he was pretty good last year for the Bulldogs on a pretty bad team. But him alongside a guy, Murdy Mongazi, he's coming in. He's in a, those are two pretty solid players. Corbin Merritt is a transfer from Oklahoma who is going to uh, – I think he's applying for a waiver. I don't think there's been a word on if he's gotten one or not. I'm guessing he will. So that's another guy you could put down low. I, I This is a team I like a lot, and I think they're – going to definitely be the top team in this conference you look at murray state they're a good team tevin brown and kj williams are both really good players belmont was up there at one point but once adam kunkel opted to transfer to xavier who's their leading score last season they dropped off a tier yeah i definitely agree on not throwing belmont into the murray state austin p category i just i really like this austin p team uh, you mentioned Taylor. He's a superstar. Uh, probably the best college player that Mike Peake will ever play with. Uh, no disrespect to Anthony Edwards, but Terry Taylor's a better college player uh, and could be a better NBA player. We'll see. We'll yeah. wait and see on that. But Jordan Adams is a stud. You have When you have two superstars like that, you really just need people that can kind of fill a role. You need and yep. Mike Peake's one of those guys because he can just – you put him on the low block. Obviously, like, you, you, if you double Terry Taylor with Mike Peake's defender, well, Mike Peake's going to get a lot of, like, dunk attempts at the rim, uh, so you can't really do that. So you kind of still have to play Terry Taylor straight up. And then, like, Jordan Adams can go off. Uh, Terry Taylor is always just going to go off because he's that good. It's just a Austin P team. And the other thing is Taylor can't really be exploited inside the offense or defensively because now you have an actual like center and Terry Taylor can play the four instead of the five. And that's just a perfect move. And Austin P is going to be really good this year. Yeah, definitely takes some unneeded pressure off of Terry Taylor, just letting him play loose, more free, able to play his role that he enjoys playing is going to be bigger. It's going to be better to have him play one role more than five roles. Yeah, definitely. And the last one we wanted to touch on, uh, James Bishop has received a waiver to play at George Washington. Uh, George Washington's pretty sneakily talented this upcoming season. Uh, Jameer Nelson Jr., uh, Matthew Moyer. It's going to be a solid team. Uh, Sloan Seymour as well. Uh, So it's going to be a solid team. Still, I would put them a little bit behind 
like a UMass or VCU or those type of teams, but certainly could be a good team uh, for this upcoming season. And I think Jamie on Christian has George Washington going the right way. Yeah, Coach Christian's really building something special there. He's a great guy. Spoke to him a number of months ago at this point, interviewed him. That's up on the site. And uh, spoke to him about waivers, was talking about Bishop getting a waiver. He was pretty confident, obviously, that has come to fruition at this point. He said Ricky Lindo was not going to apply for a waiver. But at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if that uh, mind has been changed, and he does. We'll have to see the Maryland transfer there. And then they have another transfer, Hunter Dean, a 6'10 guy from Southern Miss, who I believe has to sit this year. But, uh, um, okay, he'll be eligible at some point this year. He transferred at the midseason mark. So you have Jameer Nelson Jr., you have Maceo Jack, both returning, two really good guards. Uh, Jack will likely play the three now with Bishop there, the LSU transfer, who was a top 160 recruit last season. Didn't play a ton for LSU with Skylar Mays there. Uh, they just had a lot of guys playing guard spots, and I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, so that's why I just said Skylar Mays and other guys. But, uh, you know, it's tough for him to find a role. Then he had Sloan Seymour from Siena, who sat last season. Ace Stallings from Mount St. Mary's, who was coached by Coach Christian there. And then Seymour was also coached by uh, Coach Christian at Siena the one season he was there. So obviously a lot of guys that Coach Christian has brought along with him built good relationships, and that just speaks to what kind of coach he is. Then you have Jamison Battle, who was a 6'7", shot nearly 40% from deep last season, I believe. Then you have Chase Parr, who was hurt early in the season and came on late at that five spot. He will also play a big role this season. I don't think they're a tournament team by any means, but I think they won 12 games, 13 games last year. I could see them. I don't. I mean, we don't know how many games we're going to have this year, but I could see them, you know, being competitive in A10 play this year. Yeah, I think they'll just they'll kind of take it a little bit step forward uh, in the A10 this upcoming season. Uh, certainly getting a lot of new pieces, a lot of like Jameer Nelson Jr., I think is a future superstar. Well, he was a freshman last year, so you weren't really getting the full version of Jameer Nelson Jr. Uh, Matthew Moyer coming into the program, uh, James Bishop, and then like a Maceo Jack, a Jamison Battle, like and Sloan Seymour, you get all these kind of players coming together. I think it'll take a little bit of time to gel for this George Washington team. Like I, if they're playing, let's say they play the Duke tournament and they do that. Well, they're obviously probably not going to do well early in the season, but you get into a 10 play, they get a few more games under the belt. Uh, they could maybe get into a situation where they win like five of their last six games, depending upon how the schedule falls out. Maybe they play kind of that mediocre tier of teams late in the season, uh, and they go like they win five of their last six, and all of a sudden George Washington's like looking at an eight and ten record and a ten play, and I think that's something that you can definitely build on for the future. Yeah, definitely. I think Coach Christian's going to be a big-time coach. He's still really young. I think early 40s maybe, but he's going to be a big-time coach one day in college basketball. I mean, just speaking on him for a second, he was on that BCU the year after they went to the Final Four. 
He joined that uh, staff with Mike Rhodes, Will Wade, Shaka Smart being the head coach, Mike Morrell, who's now at UNC Asheville. They were all on one staff together. That is unbelievable that so many good coaches were on the same staff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So, yeah, that that VCU staff is still amazingly talented. And VCU just – they just turn out – Good coach after good coach, and Will Wade, of course, because he he is he won't be. Hey, he's had the most successful season of probably this century in LSU history. Yeah, and uh, he's also going to uh, be the reason that LSU won't be very good much longer after the next couple of seasons. So only the strongest of the offers. Yeah, he's making makes them offers, that's for sure. Yes. Well, that will wrap it up for this edition of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. We stayed under an hour, uh, at least if we don't go on a quick three-minute tangent on something. About uh, relatives in college basketball? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Assuming we avoid that. Yeah. Well, Sean, uh, where can people follow you if they don't already? Well, I, I don't think most people listen to this follow me at this point because I've been on 285 followers for like two months, I feel like. Uh, so follow me. I'd like to get to 300 eventually. That'd be fun. Uh, Sean02MTM on Twitter. Subscribe to the Making the Madness YouTube channel. Follow Jonathan at JWarnerMTM. You can spell out your last name. There you go. Yeah, just, just W-A-R-R-I-N-E-R if you need it. There we go, yeah. And uh, Drew Timmy, National Player of the Year, that's all I got. That's all That's all you got for me. There we go. That That is all. Well, thanks again for joining. And to the listeners, thanks for listening. Have a good one.